0: Father, we, we remain in your presence. Father, thank you for the music and the melodies that we just sung. to Remind us of who you are.
1: We are very well aware of who we are. That we are sinners in need of grace. That we are sinners in need
0: of not just your grace, but of your mercy. Of your forgiveness.
1: And so, Father, we ask this morning that you, would, that you would be pleased to not just work in me. This is your
0: word. It's your infallible word. But Father, I ask that
1: you would be pleased to work in hearts here, that hearts that are hardened toward you would be softened, that there would be fertile hearts here, fertile soil found among us here this morning, where your word and the seed of the gospel may be
0: sown you would be pleased to reap
1: hearts and souls for you, for your glory, to change hearts. and Father, as a congregation, I pray that you would be pleased to
0: work in us as, a, as, a, as members of this body, of the body of Christ. We want to be
1: a gospel community, but we also know that we can't do it on our own. So we need your word, we need the Holy Spirit to convict us, to challenge us, to prod us. But we know that it's you that will do that work.
0: And so we ask you that you would do that now. For the glory, for the exaltation of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We continue in our
1: consecutive study of Acts. We're in Acts 21. All right, if you guys recall, a couple of weeks ago, we were dealing with Paul. He's been traveling. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. And there he is, you know, finding himself in Caesarea. Brothers are, are praying, and and they're telling him, don't go, don't go. But he's, he has it in him. Like, I'm going. Right, He's going back to Jerusalem, despite all the warnings, all the things, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit is showing us. And, he, and he's, he's set... Just like Jesus with his eyes on the cross, so Paul has set his eyes on Jerusalem, regardless of what might happen to him. He says, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die for the gospel. So this is where we kind of find ourselves. I want to give you this quick recap, because I know it's been some time. And I also want to give this preface, that the sermon kind of overlaps, and it's not, will overlap somewhat with what Dayron uh, preached on a couple weeks ago. So I'm not preaching this because I think I know a couple of things more than, than he said anything incorrect. On the contrary, I think this is just a text where we find ourselves in. And so, by God's providence, this is where we're at, so hopefully I can maybe um, give us another perspective. Not that he's given us a wrong one, so I want to make sure I, I make that clear from the, from, from the get-go. Most of you know what businesses have, right? I mean, we live in a capitalistic society, right, where competition is fostered, yes, so we, we like competition, I think competition is good. If you've ever been in a country or come from a country where you know, this is not the type of, of, of society that there is, you know, the government will control it, the government will then dictate who gets what and, who, and so on and so forth. But here we have competition. And how does your business, how does a business distinguish themselves from other businesses, especially not just other businesses in general, but from their competitors, right? What what makes you, and so businesses have that responsibility to say, okay, well, I have to come up with distinctives. I have to come up with something that sets me apart. What do I have to offer to the public that my competitor doesn't? Whether it's something that you focus on service, whether it's a particular product, or how you deliver that product, whatever it is, you have something that you believe that will set you apart from that competition, Right? that you just don't deliver things, but you deliver them on time, you deliver them in good quality, that the, the what you produce is good quality, it's not just, you know, whatever. Um, and so, those are distinctives. Now, for us, in, in a Christian community, we have distinctives, right? We have something that no other religion, no other organization on this, on the face of this planet or ever, can say, they, they, or can claim that they have. We, as believers, as part of Christendom, as, Christ- as Christians, we have something that distinguishes, and that is the gospel. The gospel sets us apart from every and every organization and other religion, because there's nothing like it. Nothing. You can go ahead and talk to whoever you want another other Some of you, I-, I encourage you, look at other religions. Study them. See what they have to offer. And when you come back, you'll find that it's only in Christianity where you will find what God offered. And he didn't offer money. He offered a son. He offered a son for us, for sinners. And that's the gospel. And we're going to get into that, but that's what sets apart. Now, with that being said, at a high level, in Christendom, what about at the local body level? What about us here at Cornerstone? What sets us apart? Not that we're competing with the church across the street or the church right behind us over here, right? We're not, w- what sets us apart? Because everybody, and this is, this is where I mean that Daron kind of spoke on this, right, on Matthew 28, and, he, and he's going to continue with the last two points uh, in his next time that, that he preaches, but what sets us apart? Everybody wants to reach Miami. Everybody wants to reach the world with the gospel. What does it look like for us? This church has been around for, what, 30 years. More than 30 years? 84. 84. 84. Same pulpit, I think. People have <laughs> come and preached behind this pulpit. People have changed. But what sets us apart? I mean, We have to think about this. So, in reality, this sermon, in many ways, is about this particular um, issue. How do we, as a local church, as a community, who claim to believe in Jesus claim to be his body. How do we flesh this out? What are things that sets us apart? Again, now with the fostering of competition, how do I become better? Because people will look at churches, and unfortunately, people look at churches, what church am I going to go? They look at children's ministry. Some churches uh, really pride themselves on their children's ministry. Some of them pride themselves on their music ministry. We like to pride ourselves in our pulpit ministry. Right, And the fact that we're preaching the word, not that the other ones are not, but that's, that's what ends up happening. And so we want to set ourselves apart. So keep that in mind as we go here, because here in Kendall, we have something to offer. We have something to offer. But this is not a marketing scheme. This is not like, oh, well, come to, come to Cornerstone. As a matter of fact, let me, and I'll say this, just this past week, a couple days ago, just talking to another fellow co-workers, like, oh, I want to get back to church.
0: Okay? I didn't tell her to come to Cornerstone.
1: They find a church where they preach the word. That's it. She's pregnant, she's about to have, and she's looking, she wants to, uh, the family there to to start, uh, you know, raising their children in the ways of the Lord, but okay, but go to a church that, that preaches the word. The children's ministry, the music ministry, all that, can't be a non-negotiable. And so we want to look, what does a gospel community look like? What do we look like? Do we just want to be known as theological cows? People that just absorb scripture and know, and we can spew verses and we can go ahead and tell people, but at the end of the day, what what does that lead us to? Debates? Theological debates? What? We want to be a gospel community, beloved. That's what we want to be known as. We want to be a gospel community, not just with a superficial, not a superficial, but just a, an overarching reach Miami with the gospel, but specifically our community. That's where we want to be. And so we find ourselves in, in Acts 17, excuse me, Acts 21. We've read already the first 17 verses, and I'm going to um, pick up here um, on verse 17, okay? Let me make it up here, excuse me. Verse 15, sorry, we read the first 14 verses, and now we find ourselves in verse 15, all right? And this is what the, what the scriptures read. It says, After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And this is the reading of God's word. We're going to see what's going to happen here at, uh, in the following verses in 21, all the way to the end. But now we've basically come to the end of Paul's missionary journey. And the first thing that we see as we're reading here, and my first point, is gospel initiators. Gospel initiators. Gospel initiators. Okay, you guys know what an initiator is? Someone who initiates, right? And to initiate is to have initiative, okay? Uh, We see here immediately, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Remember, they're in Caesarea. So they're traveling about 60-so miles to Jerusalem. We got up, we got ready and went
0: up to Jerusalem. Initiative, what is it?
1: It's something that we don't find all too much in our society. We are told what to do. Right? But what is initiative? Initiative is actually the opposite. It's to work independently, right? To take the lead. If you look at it in terms of definition, if you want a proper definition, the power or opportunity to act or take charge before others do. Before having a career change, I was a former public school teacher. And that is always something that I looked for in students and something that I always told them. Guys, have initiative. This is something that was drilled in me growing up. Have initiative. Don't wait for others to tell you, hey, come, let's do this. Take the lead. Some of you know if you have people under you, right, you love to see. That those that you supervisor and those that you're managing take responsibility. That you're not having to watch over them and tell them, okay, you've done this, all right, go to the next task. Maybe there's a point for that when they're learning, but after a while, you want them to go ahead and take that initiative. And I know for us as a culture, we kind of do the opposite. We stifle that. Because if you ever think about when you're growing up and you're in school and you see the kid that says, Oh, Mr. Mrs. Mrs., I'm, I'm done with my work. Is there anything else I can do? What does everybody in the class do? You teacher's pet. You teacher's pet. Ah, there you go, sucking up to the teacher. And we stifle that. Because that child at that moment is actually saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to be proactive. Maybe that child is sucking. I don't know, because we don't know the hearts of people. But there's an intentionality to say, you know what, I'm going to go above. I'm going to go ahead. I'm done. I'm not just going to sit there and twiddle my thumbs and and get into mischief and create mischief. But on the contrary, I'm going to go. And do something productive. And I think part of us, as as a culture, as a church body, we need to have that. Now, you might say, well, why is that important? Why? Because our God is the one who initiated. Salvation is not something that you and I initiate, beloved. God is the one who initiated salvation. It wasn't you. This is something that he did from before the foundation of the world. Acts 28 28, therefore, and we're going to get to this later on, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Guess who's doing the sending? It wasn't Paul, it was God. God is the ultimate initiator of salvation. To the Gentiles, to those that believe, First 1 Peter 1.20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, speaking of Jesus, but was made manifest in the last times, for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. It's for our sake, for our sake. Those that believe in God, who raised him, speaking of Jesus, from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the God that we serve, beloved. The one that initiates. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So our God is one that initiates this plan of salvation. Now, we, too, should model that. Now, we're not going to initiate salvation, but we should initiate kingdom work to move the gospel, to spur the gospel forward. The gospel is not something for you just to hold to yourself and, and tuck it away in your, in, your, in your jacket, in your back pocket, and just have it. No, the gospel is for you, yes, for you to believe it, and once you have believed, to share it and proclaim it. That is our responsibility as believers. They were able and available Aaron talked about this, so I'm not going to rehash on this, but it says, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. Again, the heart of Isaiah, right? Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I'm here. I'm available. The challenge here, the challenge here is that availability has to do with priority. Availability has to do with priority. And we have to be mindful that many times in our inability, it's not, be, it's not really because of providential circumstances. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's not. It's not that we, in reality, is that we don't prioritize. We don't prioritize kingdom work in our lives. We don't. We'd rather do a million other things than do the things that God has called us to do. It's a matter of priority. It's about availability. Because at the end of the day, we have that privilege. And We'll get more on that here in a second. So inability is not an excuse, beloved. None of us here as believers can raise our hands, you know what, I'm unable to, to really serve. I'm, I'm, I'm unable to really, you know, do kingdom work. Really. Because the Bible says the complete opposite. Scripture says the complete opposite. Scripture actually says, Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The operative word there is use, not hoard. It doesn't say let me keep them to myself. It's on the contrary, let us use them. Now, what are they? If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Take your pick. Take your pick. But it's about being having that mentality to initiate. Have the initiative. Don't wait for the pastor to come around and say, Osborne, Hey, are you? And I'm not, not picking on you, but <laughs> I dare not pick on you. But, uh, but you know, I'm going to say, hey, time to serve. Time to get with, with kingdom work. Don't wait. Be, have that initiative. Because your God is one who took the initiative. And it, at the end of the day, we're not just called to be like him in holiness, but also in what we do and, how we, and, what, and when we do things, why we do things. Because all that is is important, and how? So that is the key. You're asking, what is the key? That is the key, to make full use of the truth that we are able and available. What are your excuses? What are the things that are keeping you saying, you know what? Uh, maybe not right now. Because guess what? There's never going to be a right moment. There's never going to be a right moment. There's always going to be things that are going to go ahead and take priority. Always, a birthday party. Something. An event. And so there's things that we have to make uh, because we have to, we can't forget, and, and what we read last week in our consecutive reading here, the, the time is not expanding. Your minutes are not being, minutes are not being added to your time here on earth. You already have one hour less on this earth since you got here. Or whenever you got here. If you look at a sand, you guys have played those board games, right? Where you, Flip that, that, that hourglass, that, that sand, you flip that, that sand eventually is going to run out. It's not infinite. And so what do we do with our time? Because the window is not growing wider, it's growing narrower. And so we have to make sure that this is the mentality that we have if we want to be a gospel community. Not just with our mouths saying, Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and I want No, but in how we live and how we act and how we fellowship and how we serve one another. It can't be. Again, I'm not here to compare myself to the church or any church around us. The same way you as families, right? When your children come up, oh yeah, but such and such likes to do this. How come I can't do that? And what do your parents usually tell you? Parents, what do you tell your kids? Well, I'm not their parents. I am your parent. And I'm telling you what to do because this is my house and these are my rules. If they want to go ahead and get annual passes to Disney, great for them. We're not doing it because your job is not to go ahead like i told my kids this past week i'm not going to be held accountable god is not going to tell me how come you didn't give your kids access to netflix he's not going to hold me accountable for that like how did you lead them where did you pour into them how did you lead them in the gospel how did you point them to christ because ultimately that's where we need to be and likewise at that level, at the home level, so it is also with us at the church level, here at the local body level. I'm not responsible for what the vineyard does, or a Pure Heart does, or what the church, Casa Misericordia down the street does. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is, how is Cornerstone? How is Cornerstone a gospel community? How are we coming alongside each other? And being co-laborers, because scripture calls you a co-laborer, right of Jesus and spurring on the gospel because that's exactly what Jesus did
0: you never see Jesus being idle as a matter of fact scripture tells us he was about his father's business
1: why are we not about our savior's business are you are, are you taking part of your father's business in your savior's business these are questions that we need to ask ourselves and sometimes they fall into the back seat and we lose track of them but they're important that we need to every once in a while evaluate and say where am i where am i where do i fit in how am i serving how am i being a gospel initiator and doing kingdom work but it doesn't end there it doesn't end there they went up to jerusalem and by the way little side note there they were busy just as much as we were They were busy just as much as we were. They had to provide for the families just as much as you have to provide for your families. And they went up and they did it. We too can look and and take inventory and, and actually look. And so, gospel initiating, but now we go into gospel serving. Verses 16b through 17. Bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. That's what the text reads. And to serve is not an inconvenience. It's a privilege. We have to remember that. It's a privilege that you've been called to the kingdom to serve. The Lord doesn't need any one of us. He doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. He doesn't need Edwin. He doesn't need Daron. His word is going to go forth. But he has called us
0: to participate in this kingdom work. Now, you saying, well, what does this text have to do with that?
1: Look at Mason. He's serving. Oh, what? He didn't, he didn't bring a, a bottle of water to Paul? No, he opened his home. He opened his home to Paul, and he's not the first one, by the way. We have examples of that. Remember Jason, a couple of chapters ago? Okay, I'll read it to you since you guys are like, oh, huh, Jason? Yeah, Acts 17. Paul was proclaiming to the Jews in the synagogue who Christ was. And then what happens? The city, the Jews obviously are upset because Paul and Silas are there doing this and, and they get upset and so now they're going after Paul and the whole city is in an uproar. Verse five, verses 5 and 6. The city is in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Jason opens his home, takes them in. But now the Jews are upset, so now they go after Jason. Because part of serving is to be associated with Jesus. And serving doesn't always mean that you have to do this big, oh, somehow I have to preach, and if I'm not preaching or I'm not teaching, then somehow as a man, I am not really serving the Lord. Some aspire to that. If you aspire to it, great. But that's not the only way you can serve. You can serve by being a faithful husband, a faithful steward. We just read a list of things that you can do. So what, what is your privilege? You, again, it's a privilege. Where, are you, where do you fit into this? And remember this, that a serving means that you may be cursed. You may be hated. You may be mocked.
0: And that's okay. You have good cheer. Because if they hate you, what did Jesus say? Remember, they
1: hated me first. So don't worry. Don't worry about the results. You go ahead and you commit yourself to the gospel. You commit yourself to your Savior. And say, these hands and these feet and these mouths, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Even if it means just bringing a, a, a bottle to the preacher. Even if it means just opening your heart We don't or your home. We don't see it because we don't have missionaries the way people were traveling back and forth back in the day, right? We don't see that often. There's people that still do that, but... There's different ways for you to go ahead and do it. Find one. But how are you serving your brethren? How are you living your faith? And not just simply saying, yeah, I know these things, yeah, yeah, serve. And then, when it's, but then you see the same people over and over again, you know, doing the same things like, man, you know, Victor has, has a family, Freddie has a family, we all have families, just like you. But we want, it's it's a blessing to be able to say when people tell me, hey, where can I, what do you need? What a blessing for for, for a minister or a pastor, somebody to be able to hear, hey, what do you need? I'm here. I'm ready. Put me in wherever you need. And that's the heart that we need to have as believers, and that is the heart that we're going to have here at Cornerstone. Not because I said it, but because Scripture encourages us to have this heart. Romans twelve eleven. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That is from the NIV. Hopefully I didn't commit a sin there by uh, reading from the NIV, you know. But, I'm not saying it's, uh, the NIV is, it's, it's okay. <laughs> don't don't, don't extra our question. Ah, you know, I need to uh, take every NIV out of my house. No. But I like the way the NIV phrases that. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep it, that fervor. Keep what? The fervor, that zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. If you are lacking in zeal right now, questioning, "Ah, I really don't feel like serving. I just don't find... The Bible says never be lacking in that. You should always have a passion to move the gospel forward. You should always have a passion to proclaim the name of your Savior. And if you're lacking that passion, then there's something that you must do. If you're already doing this, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you're doing it. But I'm also aware that serving the Lord will bring about frustration. I know that serving the Lord will bring about loneliness. I know that serving the Lord at times, you will lack joy. I know. Believe me, I know.
0: If that's where you are, because it is inevitable, you will feel that
1: way then make sure that you confess that. Go before the Lord. Go before your Father in heaven and say, Lord, I am grumbling right now. I don't want to do this. I don't like to prepare. I'm not saying that Tony said this, but whatever it is, you know, because it is tedious, it's cumbersome. No one sees what he does in order to do what... You guys don't see it. You don't see them coming in here in the morning to practice. They can lead us in worship. You don't see the hours that we put in behind to prepare for a sermon. I'm not saying that this is an amazing, you know, like, they just ask, I mean, that's not what I am saying. All I'm simply saying is that it requires sacrifice. And sometimes it gets old and it gets boring. And quite frankly, I don't want to do it anymore. But that's why, specifically in those moments, we need people. We need brethren. We need people that we can go to and say, can you pray with me? Can you pray with me in ministry here? I can tell you for one, my wife has been that encouragement because she knows she hears my grumbling more than more than more than any of you. I don't think any of you ever heard me grumble, maybe aside from Edwin. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you ever seen those marathon runners when they're running and they're trying to run those twenty six miles? And every soul along along that that route, they have tables set up, and there's people there running. Hey hey hey, get get some water. Why, why hand him a cup of water so it keeps him going? Here's a gel pack so you can keep on going. I know your muscles are probably getting tired. They're probably cramping at this point. Here, take this, hydrate. And that's what we need. We need gospel hydration sometimes. Because we are going to grow tired. We are going to grow weary. And the Lord knows that. But we can go ahead and trust. But that's why you can't do, you can't walk alone. You can't walk alone. This is not meant for you to do alone. You need people that you can come around to and say, be honest and be transparent and say, this is where I am. Pray with me. Pray for me. You have those people in your life. You have those people in your life so that you can, that joy of the Lord can be restored to you when it starts growing dim. When it starts growing dim. You need them. And they need you as well. Because just like Edwin has been that for me at times in this ministry because someone who understands, someone, I can guarantee you, has been that for him before. And he knows who they are. And that is where we need to be for one another. So initiate kingdom work. Serve, because it's a privilege that you're called to serve and be part of this kingdom. But then also proclaim. Look at verses 18 and 20. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. As they glorified God. Now, it's simple. Gospel conversations. What are gospel conversations? See, we think of gospel conversations, and we think we have to start debating God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Because unless you're talking about deep theological things, you're not really having a good, uh, a good fellowship. You love it. That is, you could have that, but that is not what gospel conversations are all about. It is not to figure out why, if Adam really had a belly button or not.
0: It isn't. The reason
1: we have gospel conversations is to tell each other what God has done. Now, first and foremost, that's at that level. But here, at Cornerstone, at least always from this pulpit, we want to proclaim that, what God has done. Because what we've seen here in the Scriptures throughout 21 chapters of Acts is exactly moment after moment after moment after moment of what God has done. People came to know Christ, people came to believe, Jews, Gentiles, I mean, people that were completely ostracized are coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, thousands are coming to know Him. A Jewish rabbi that hated God comes to know Christ, that, not that hated God, that, hated, that didn't believe in the gospel, zealous for the law, comes to know Christ and makes it His mission. To share and proclaim that to others. So at least from this pulpit, we want to preach Christ and His gospel.
0: Now you. Oh, I don't preach. I can't do that. Oh, you can.
1: You can do that in your conversations. You have know, it. It's great that you can go ahead and talk about the NBA finals. It's great that you can go ahead and talk about the Yankees and you can talk about whatever sports team that, that you that you enjoy or whatever sport is now in season. But if all your conversations just simply stop there and they never go beyond this, let me tell you what happened this past week, being vulnerable and transparent with one another. I love it how our sister, you know, hey, Susan, at times, you know, being able to, hey, you know, here, you know, whatever is or frustrated, whatever it is with the business, and, and you know their situation, we have prayed for them and we continue to pray for them. But having those conversations with one another that remind us of what Christ has done. That's where we want to go. That's the goal.
0: Talk to our sister Chewy. No, but if she can go ahead and do what she's doing
1: in the situation that she's in, what impedes you? If she can go ahead and use her situation to speak to others about Christ, why can't you use your situations to speak others and use that as a launching pad? to speak of him.
0: Just a thought. We have nothing. I mean, what what else do we have to offer? I mean, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, is it not? Unless they come to Christ, that is their end. And for some of you here, that is your end if you don't come to him.
1: Paul made this a point. In Romans 15, he reminds us, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my word for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Notice that this, everything that we we're just reading here, is about what God has done. Notice that Paul, that Luke, excuse me, is not writing and saying, well, the things that had been done through me and my ministry. That is not the purpose.
0: The purpose was to tell of the things that God had done. It's that simple.
1: And you can do that. This is where I was. And you can start with your own testimony. You can start with, this is where I was, and look what God has done. Only the gospel can change hearts. It's not going to be politics. I've said it many times before. It's not going to be politics. It's not going to be the White House. It's not going to be the World Health Organization. It's not going to be the the World Economic Forum. None of them are going to change hearts.
0: Only the gospel of the Lord Jesus will change hearts. So you can speak of that if you know him and you know that
1: gospel. Proclaim it. Our aim is to leave others praising the name of the Lord and not me. I don't want people coming away with, wow, what an amazing man you are. No, I'm trash. I'm trash. I'm trash. Apart from Christ, I am trash. There's nothing that, that, that even is worth you being around me. It's only because of Christ. And this is why it's so important that we proclaim, beloved. I know we, we've heard it here, you know, if, um, preach the gospel, if you must use words. Beloved, we have to use words. Your actions alone will not be sufficient to bring people to the knowledge of Christ your actions alone will probably deter them and probably put them on the other boat. And he's
0: a Christian? If we're honest, you
1: have to use words. You have to use the logos. The reason why Scripture uses and describes Jesus as the logos, as the eternal word.
0: We have to proclaim. We can't
1: just sit on this truth and keep it. We have to proclaim it. With our words. Now, yes, live. Live in a way that honors the Lord. But that alone is not going to, because they still have to question, hey, why do you do what you do? Oh, let me tell you. I don't think you would walk away being silent. Oh, my actions were sufficient. No, you have to tell them about Christ. And hopefully, that is the greatest reaction that anyone can have. What was their reaction? And when they heard it, they glorified God.
0: This is why we do. If we're going to be a gospel community,
1: that is our goal, that people glorify God. That people do that. That it's not just simply us, you know, oh, wow, Cornerstone, what an amazing church, you know, they have a great pulpit. You love it, this is irrelevant. If we're not preaching Christ and we are not proclaiming him, then what are we doing?
0: And what are we doing?
1: We're not here to get an award for the best pulpit ministry of Miami. I don't think that's not my heart. That's not Edwin's heart. That's not their heart. This is not. We're not here to go ahead and, and get a, and and have a trophy in the back of like all these accolades. No. So like Paul, we want to preach Christ
0: and Him crucified. So what's what's the conclusion? If Paul were to walk in, if Paul were to walk into our church. And ask us, hey, what's Cornerstone? What are you doing? How are you advancing the gospel? What do you say? What do you say? How are you initiating kingdom work?
1: Because we don't think of these things because they're really somehow in the back of our minds. And I'm saying Paul. Paul. Because if I, if I say Jesus, then we really get really tense, right? But show someone just like Paul.
0: Human, just like us. What are you doing? How are you serving? How are you using your gifts and your talents to grow the kingdom of the Lord? To initiate
1: kingdom work. To serve others. To serve your community. To proclaim the gospel have these conversations that, that foster this, these gospel conversations. If we are going to be a church, a local body that's going to somehow impact our community, we have to have these distinctives. It's not just about, again, we want to reach all of Miami. I just want to start here. And then from there we start going out. But it starts with that, having this mentality so may the Lord prod us, may He help us, may He encourage us. To have this mindset, to have this, this heart at the end of the day. And guess what, beloved? You're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're a bunch of misfits. Yes, you are. We're mischievous, we fail, we stumble over our words, we stumble over our feet. It's going to happen. But We have God's grace. We have God's grace to continue going. What's stopping you? What's keeping you? you Are going to mess up? Great, join the club. Because I've messed up many times. And I'm still going to continue messing, uh, messing up many times. But the point is not to go ahead and give up. The point is, hey, let's continue. God's grace is there. He'll enable us. I probably said things this, this morning that are, that are off. May the Lord have mercy on me. And have mercy on your ears. But it happens all the time. We stop the pulpit because we're fallible men and somehow we, we're going to mess up Preaching? No, you keep doing it. And trust that God's grace and his mercy will be sufficient the next time. And it will be. Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us us, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager
0: for good deeds. May
1: God help us to be a people eager for good deeds, not just in word, but specifically in deed. That it's
0: visible. That we don't talk a good game.
1: We actually play a good game. We actually do it. Trusting in the Lord. Not in ourselves, but in Him. And the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And if you're an unbeliever, for you, remember,
0: there's a God, the God of the universe initiated salvation. What do you have to do?
1: Believe in the Son whom He sent. Believe in the Son whom He sent. To die on a cross, whoever repents and believes in His atoning work will be saved. There's a feast that is to come, and this is the invitation.
0: This is the invitation. You can never say, well, He never really
1: invited me, He never called me to to faith. This is what it is. This is the gospel. Every time you hear the gospel, it's an invitation to come and believe.
0: To come and believe. You pray
1: that the Lord grants you that faith. To not just say that I know of Jesus, but I believe in him. Because that is where we need to be. And that is where you, beloved, need to be. Jesus told Thomas. You guys remember Thomas? What did he tell Thomas? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the, to the
0: Father except through me. No one means no one. Jesus is the only way. He is the only
1: way. There's no shortcut. There's no reroute. Let me try a different route. He alone is the only way. Stop looking to yourself. Stop looking to your works. Stop looking and thinking that somehow you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be good enough. Like I told someone last week, if God were recording every single deed and every single thing that you've ever said and done, and the day you stand before him, he plays it, do you really think that when he plays that and he hears everything that you've said and and sees everything that you've done,
0: he's going to say, come in. Think about that. That means that your only
1: hope is in one whose name is Jesus. That when God played everything that he did and everything that he did, he knows he kept it. He was sinless. The reason he went
0: to the cross Is because of you and me, taking your sin and mine to the cross. That is why he went.
1: It's not because he sinned. He was sinless. But because of you and me, he went to the cross. So believe in him. And that same Thomas, when Jesus appears to the disciples after he had resurrected, remember he tells them, hey, touch, touch. right? And Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe unless... I see and come, come come Thomas touch. Put your finger in my in my wound. Put your finger in my side. And what does Jesus tell Thomas? John says in John 20, 29, Jesus said to him to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have belie- have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. May you be found as those that have not seen him, but believed. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that that we would grow as a gospel community with the heart to do kingdom work,
0: with the heart to model after our Savior. He was the one touching lepers. or we confess that if there were lepers here today, we probably wouldn't even go near them. And yet Jesus came and he modeled for us what it looks like to think of the lowly. He thought of us. He left his throne and came to this earth, inhabited his own creation, to be crucified by his own creation. Father, I pray that as as a gospel community, you would find us serving, that you would find us pointing people to Jesus in our conversations, through our deeds.
1: Lord, we know that you will come back. And I pray, Lord, that you would not find us lazy and idle, but on the contrary, you would find us doing that kingdom work not because somehow it's going to earn us your favor, because your favor,
0: we've already obtained it in Jesus. But Lord, we want to do it precisely because of what Christ has done for us.
1: And so I pray that here, the heart of your people at Cornerstone would be that. And I pray, Lord, that if anyone here doesn't know you, that as they hear the gospel and they've heard this gospel, that they come to understand and realize what Christ has done, that only you alone can take off the blindfolds. You alone can remove the scales off their
0: eyes, that they might see,
1: repent, and believe in your only begotten Son, whom you sent, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus.
0: Amen.